Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, a brand new episode. Today marks the conclusion of Colossians, the second chapter. As you recall, last week we did Colossians 2, 1 through 15. And in that study, as just a little bit of a background, and just to get you caught back up to where we left off, we talked about that we need to encourage one another in the faith. We needed to be united together in love. And we talked about Christ being the mystery of God. And not just that, but that all treasure of wisdom and knowledge are in him. And there are many false teachers out there that are trying to distract you. And there are others that will teach false teachings that will lead many astray. But in Christ, we will be disciplined. We will have stability. We will be firmly rooted, built up, and established in the faith that comes through Him. There are many, many false teachings and teachers, like I just said, that try to take us captive through philosophies and empty deceptions. And one of the stones that we build our foundation upon, and we know that the only foundation is Christ Jesus, our Lord, but one of those big foundations is that Jesus Christ is divine. He is holy. He is the Christ, and He is God. And in verse 9, it talked about, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He was completely God and completely man. And in Christ, in verse 10, he is the head over all rule and authority. He is the head of the church. And we also talked about a lot of powerful things. But in verse 12, we talked about buried with him in baptism, which is talking about our spiritual union with him and that we are also raised up with him. We talked so much about in him, with him, in him, and with him, which that might be sounding a little familiar to you right now. And now we are made alive together with him. Such a powerful, powerful 15 verses. And so Jesus took our sins, their certificate of debt. Remember in verse 14, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. And so as we finished up with that, now we are back with the conclusion of chapter 2, which is 16 through 23. So with that being said, let's go ahead and read 16 through 23. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, 
things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principle of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are all matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. All right, let's go ahead and go back to verse 16 and let's start breaking this down. It says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. See, the Pharisees were people who thought that if they adhered to every ritual, abstain from certain foods and obeyed everything that God had commanded and follow these rituals that they would be righteous and holy before his sight. And this is why verse 17 says things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. The festivals, the Sabbath, all of those were important, but God had ordained those as a precursor to Christ. Everything points to Christ. And what happened is the Pharisees took that and they used that in a form of legalism in which if they obeyed the law, they would be more righteous than others and have a very good standing with God. Think about the laws we have today, which were based off of the Ten Commandments. No matter what anybody says, that's the reality. And here's the deal. If you have never in your life murdered somebody, committed adultery, never committed fraud. I'm trying to think of some other things. Never broken someone's house and stole things. And yet did not have a record at all. Maybe your record was completely clean. There is still a spiritual problem with you. And that's what the Pharisees lacked. Because what God meant for sanctification for us, to be more mindful of Him and His Son, and to draw us closer to Him, they use it as a means to justify themselves. By being, once again, ritualistic in their mindsets. 
And God used those rituals as symbols and symbolism, like circumcision, to represent a to a cut off from the sinful nature and a and a cut off of the heart. What does that mean? Well, we know in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart above all things is deceitful and it is desperately sick. Well, we're not talking about it physically, we're talking about spiritually. And so in in what circumcision was trying to show there was you are cut off from the world and your desires and the sinful nature that is so evident within all of us. And we are walking a new path. We are new creation. And yet we think that by those things that we do, those Pharisees, and even people today, they do that. But even those people that do that, they think that by those things that they are justified. And we know that Christ is the one that justifies us. No ritual, tradition, denomination, festival is what it's all about. It's about Christ. And you see, the Pharisees were acting as judges and overlords of those who were disobedient to those festivals and the Sabbath. That's why in Matthew 12, 1 through 14, they went after Jesus. Let's go ahead and go there. So I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew, the 12th chapter. And I'm not sure that we're going to go through all of this, but we're going to start and go through 1 through 7 just to begin. It says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry and he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. They went after Jesus. And we're going we're to go ahead and stop there. But verse 8 in that, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one more. It says, "For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's here. He was right in the midst of them. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It's about Christ. Everything is about Christ. In Mark two twenty-seven, Jesus said to them, "The Sabbath was made for man." and not man for the Sabbath. So, again, you see the Pharisees, when someone just so microscopic steps out of line, what happens? They gnash the teeth. It's like stirring a hornet's nest. And what Jesus was trying to say here is that just what we talked about, the Sabbath was made for man. 
yet they turned it into a legalistic type of day of the week. And so this is what happens when you deviate from the path God has shown us. Because we make everything legalistic, that I can earn it myself. If I just am a better person, I can earn it. If I follow everything God says, I'm there. I'm a saint. I'm righteous. I'm holy. And so, obeying and keeping rituals doesn't negate a sinful heart. Because... In Matthew 23, 27, I want to read this to you because this is this is really good stuff. So in Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. I'm telling you, it's... It's real, people. And today, there's not many things that are that much different. And think about think about those people in those denominations who have the nice fancy robes and the hats and beautiful church buildings that, I mean, even the, the table itself is probably worth more than my car. And we're not trying to compare things here, but what all I'm trying to say is that there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. And so all those things, the Sabbath, all the rituals, all the festivals, the new moons, all those things that they've done, even regarding to food and drink, which, you know, if we're looking at that, they thought by abstaining from certain foods that that was going to gain them some kind of a righteous standing with God and here's what it's here's what it says in Mark 7:19 because it does not go into the heart but into the stomach talking about food here and is eliminated thus he declared all foods clean Romans 14:17 for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit Hebrews 9, 9 through 10 says, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Have you heard? Did you hear that? Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. I think we're getting a really clear picture here that abstaining from things being ritualistic doesn't gain you any right standing with God. I do want to read Hebrews 7:19. For the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand there is a bring in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Well, we've already read many times who our hope is, and that is Christ. The mystery of God has been revealed, and that is Christ. You see how in verse 17, things were, which are a mere shadow of what is to come, and the mystery of God, 
those two are a little bit interconnected there because now there's no mystery. There are no more shadows anymore. But the end of verse 17 says, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. You know, I have to share this story with you. And I don't do this to brag or boast or to condemn people, but these things are evident in our church and to people around us. So we were in a Bible study, and in this particular Bible study, there was a book of Matthew short film series, and it portrayed Christ. It's kind of like it kind of was like the chosen, but it was just all going all through Matthew. And as we concluded one of those videos, at the end, we had a time of not just fellowship, but breaking it down, talking about it, going over it in scripture. And there was an elderly lady there and she made a comment about how she wanted to be an angel when she died. She wanted to be an angel. And at that point, I'm about 16 years old, and sometimes 16-year-olds don't have the best tact of all time. And... I immediately shot up and said, why would you want to be an angel? And she gave an answer. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I said, well, we are the pinnacle of God's creation and angels eventually and still to this day do serve us. And they don't have souls. And like I said before, when we get to heaven, they are going to be serving us, which is humbling in itself. But I think that was a real popular type of belief in the in the 90s where people had guardian angels. You heard that a lot. You saw a movie, Angels in the Outfield, and everybody has a guardian angel. And I'm not saying that's not the case, but when it's talking about the worshiping of angels, see... In Colossae, there was a lot of mysticism, and you are really seeing that today, seeing a lot of people trying to be mystical, and there are shows all over the place. People are chasing after ghosts in paranormal shows. There are people now that are having UFO shows because apparently UFOs are showing up, and I'm just letting you know right now, they're not little green men people, so don't get... Don't get caught up in the hype. My opinion, those are the demons that were cast out of heaven, but that's a whole different other subject to talk about. But again, going back to the worship of angels, angels are not worthy of worship. Hebrews 1.14, 
are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Those are talking about angels, people. Listen to that one more time. Are they, talking about angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Who are those who inherit salvation? That's those of us in Jesus Christ. Revelation 22.9 says, But he said to me, talking about an angel here, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. See, angels, they know their place. They And they will always deflect the glory and honor and praise back to God. Because in Revelation 22 here, it was talking about that vision. And just to get a little a little deeper into that, so let's go ahead and go to Revelation 22, just to see the background of it. In verse 8, it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. There's the background. The angel immediately said, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, the book that you and I hold in our hands right now. And what is this really important thing this angel says? Worship God. That's it. Matter of fact, that should be on a t-shirt. Worship God. That's it. Everything we needed to do in this in this life, everything we that we ought to do, should be based upon worship, praying, reading our, reading the Word, talking to people, gathering together with the saints. Everything should be for the glory of God to worship God. Again, that's another study in itself. But angels are not worthy of our praise. They're not worthy of our worship. And you just saw in just those two verses alone, it doesn't get any more crystal clear than that. But going back to verse 18 in Colossians 2, let no one, talking about people here, keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. By the way, uh, I have to mention something here. And... This is going to be kind of a challenge because you know we, we've seen movies and we've heard stories of people going through a tremendous amount of torture in order to appear right before God. And all those things do is just do harm to your body and yourself, and they don't do anything with your standing with God. Only Christ is the justifier of our faith. He's the one that makes us righteous. So when it talks about defrauding here, Paul warns the Colossians not to allow false teachers to cheat or defraud them of their temporal blessings or eternal reward by luring them into irrational mysticism. And again, talking about self-abasement here, since the false teachers took great delight in it, their quote-unquote self-abasement was actually pride, which we all know God hates, and you can find that in Proverbs 6, 16, and 17. And we could go so deep into 
mysticism and secret knowledge and uh, post-Bible revelation, which we know that's that's not accurate. But what happens, if you look at the end of verse 18, it says, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. If we don't have the mind of Christ, we are open to these types of demonic attacks and these false doctrines and false teachings, which will lead us down the primrose path. Verse 19 says, as not holding too fast to the head. What does that mean? Christ, Christ, the head of the church, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth, which is from God. Are, are you seeing the, the picture in Colossians chapters 1 and 2? It's all about Christ. It's all about God. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And everything is by Him, for Him, in Him, with Him, through Him. And that That is it. Yet, what is Paul warning the Colossians here? To avoid people who take your mind Take your heart, take your focus off of Christ. And when people are are being mystics, and when people are talking about visions and prophecies and all those things, you know who they're really glorifying? Themselves. They are taking the glory away from God and putting it upon themselves, which is very dangerous. Very dangerous. And let me ask you this question. What happens when we detach ourselves from the head, talking about Christ, what happens? Well, we end up supplying ourselves with temporary human strength. And eventually, we, those who were held together by Christ, will begin to unravel at the seams. And I've seen, quote unquote, Christians all the time. I've seen it so many times where people are excited and they're in it and they got baptized and they're in Bible studies. And the next thing you know, they're off on some tangent about some kind of teaching that has nothing to do with Christ at all. And that confuses them. That haunts them. They can't get past it. And they eventually become an apostate. And in my opinion, the hottest hell is reserved for those who are apostates, who have a true understanding of who Jesus Christ is, what scripture is, and they just walk away from it. But, you know, just as in Colossians 1.17, we are held together by God through Christ. And you know what? He gives us that saving faith that holds on, holds on to the very end. And that, my friends, is something that we can never lose hope on. So when things do sometimes hit us right between the eyes, knock us down to our knees, and then when we're gasping for air, we get knocked down again, we can hold fast to the promise that God will hold us together in Christ. That's why we, that's why we read the Bible to draw near to him and to hold fast to his promises. Because I want you to listen to verse 20. 
if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. My friends, it, there, <laughs> Paul here is like, okay, if you died to self, if you died with Christ and your union with him, and you died to the world, why are you living as if you're still in the world? Why are you submitting yourself to the decrees do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why? They're teaching to men. Why are you doing this? And he, it's like he's begging, he's pleading. Why? Stop, just stop it. And sometimes I think we want these profound words and phrases to try to get people to, to see the light. And sometimes you just got to just say it just like it is. Just stop. Just quit it. Sometimes you have to talk to people like they're two years old. Like my little two-year-old, when he's about ready to do something bad to his brother, stop. Don't do it. Not that hard. And so, as we keep going here, people try to achieve holiness by rigorous self-neglect. And not just that, but they try to avoid being born again for the sake of their pride and the sake of loving themselves. That's the, that's, that's the real why, reason why it happens. False teachings are everywhere. And one of the things that bothers me to no end is going back up to verse 20 it says why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle do not taste do not touch i want you real quick to turn with me to romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25 and you know where i'm going with this and you might have forgotten but once i start reading you're going to know exactly what i'm talking about so Starting in the 14th verse, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree that the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice very evil I do not want to do. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Okay, I'm going to stop you there in verse 20. People, I'm going to let you know something here. Paul here in Romans, this is a seasoned Christian. As a spiritual father to those, 
people he's impacted over the years. This is this is not brand new for him. He's deep, deep into Christ. And yet he has this, this attitude, this, these thoughts, these struggles. And this is why he's saying this. They know better. That war against the flesh is so evident, it's so real, and it's so powerful. But we don't submit ourselves to being ritualistic and legalistic because those things do not save us. All those things are in the flesh because verse 22 says, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. All those things are going to be burnt up in the end anyway in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Verse 23, these are matters which I, which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. They seem right, but in reality, they're silly, foolish, and shallow. It says, in self-made religion. This is what happens, people. This is the tale of this time. This is what happens when we stray away from God. Self-made religion. I think that's so well put and self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, but are no value against fleshly indulgence. It's only through the power of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit can we battle against the raging power of sin and our fleshly desires. All those ritualistic things, all of those festivals, we don't do those too many anymore, but all those things are no value against fleshly indulgence. They are not going to save you and they're not going to sanctify you. The only thing that can save you, and I should rephrase that, the only person who can save you is Jesus Christ. And the only one that can sanctify you is, is again, Jesus Christ, God the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word because... You know where I'm going to go with this next, maybe. John 17, 17. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's how we get sanctified. But guess what? Scriptures are nowhere talked about in self-made religion. It's about do this and you'll get this. Do this and you'll become more righteous. Say 10 Hail Marys and this will happen to you. Pay $10,000 and your loved one will be taken out of purgatory and going into the pearly gates. I mean, it's not pick on Catholicism time, but those things are so evident. Speak in tongues and you can have the power of the Holy Spirit. Really? The Spirit only lives within you if you speak in tongues? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. I can go, I can keep going and I can keep going and battling against these false demonic religions. But this is what happens when you don't stand firm and stay on the, the narrow path. Traditions, false teachings, a worldly mind and worldly living are evident in the world. The world will make you feel like you're, uh, foolish and outcast and you're, you're missing out as a, it'll, it'll make you feel like that if you're a Christian, but the substance is found in Christ, his divine truth. False teachings seem intriguing, 
but are empty, man-made self-righteousness, which feels like you were on the path to heaven, but in reality, you were on the path to hell. Basically, the only thing I have to say to you really now is stay in Christ. You, you need to stay in Christ. Christ is everything. Everything is by him, for him, through him. Remember, in him, with him, in him, with him. That's where you need to stay. All of these self-made man religions are not going to get you anywhere. They will tickle the flesh, but they will not satisfy your soul. And so with that being said, we have concluded Colossians chapter 2. I know what you're thinking. Whoa, Nate, we're not even at 40 minutes yet. Just give it time. <laughs> but the reality, my friends, is that there are so many things out there right now that that seem right, but they are not of God. They are of the flesh. They are of the world. And we have to be diligent to stay in the scriptures, to be in step with the Holy Spirit, to be fully immersed in the word, to be fully in Christ, in union with him, in sync with him. And in that, we will be able to battle against those powers of darkness and those spiritual dark forces in high places. Because that's where the battle truly lies. And that's what you saw in Colossians chapter 2. It's Ephesians 6, 12 all over again. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. The struggle is not against flesh and blood. Some translations say we do not wrestle with the things of this world or the things with flesh and blood, but against those spiritual dark forces in high places. And so we must be diligently pursuing the heart of God. And we need to be rejecting those things that take the focus away from Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all for Christ, and it's all in Him. So we need to stay in Him. We need to abide in Him. We need to be in the Word every day. We need to be constantly in prayer. And we need to avoid the things of this world because there's so many things out there right now that are bringing people down. And there are so many things that are causing just so much evil in the world today. And if you notice, there's a, been a lot of videos of people just catching all these strange things happening in the sky. Everybody's looking up, but they're not looking for Christ. They're looking for mysticism. They're looking for things to maybe give their life meaning, something they can pursue that they can't understand. And they are going to miss the boat because it's all about Christ. So with that being said, thank you for joining me again today. God willing, next week we'll be talking about Colossians, the third chapter, which I cannot wait for chapters three and four, which Colossians one and two is great, but three and four is going to be something else. And I can't wait for that. So again, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.